Hello, everyone. I'm Sequoia, and we're back at it again this week, exploring the nuances of diversity and seeking understanding for what true inclusion, equity, and respect looks like. I'm here with DEI strategist, Dr. Alexandria White, and we're going to be talking about women in the workplace and how companies can be more inclusive of mothers, especially during the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. White. Welcome. Thank you so much. This is a great opportunity. Sequoia, I am just so excited to be here. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. I was really glad that you reached out to me. And I thought that the topic was super exciting because it's so relevant right now. Um, Even on my team, I have a couple mothers that I work with. And our team is a small team. So there are things with us where... There, we're on a Zoom call and the babies pop in, and I love it because it's it's a small team and it feels like a family. But I know that that's not every situation, and that not every team is going to be as supportive of that. So I think it'll be a good conversation and be good for people to know some tips and things that they can do to be more inclusive and even understand ways that they might be exhibiting bias that they might not realize. So excited about right. this one. Looking forward to it. Mothers in the workplace, mothers excelling, mothers having a seat at the table. That's my passion. So I am ready to go. And we're here for all of it. Let's talk. So, but I guess first things first, how do you define diversity, inclusion, equity, and respect? Okay. So I'm not going to give like this broad, broad academic term. I like to use analogies. I use analogies in my classroom. I like to break things down so that they are, that you can consume them. And so think of diversity as I invite everyone that's listening over to my home for dinner. That's diversity. Everybody's welcome. All right. Inclusion is making sure that everyone eats. Okay. Mm -hmm. There we go. Mm -hmm. And then I I like to add in belonging in there and belonging is asking Sequoia, what would you like to eat? All right. And that respect is how I ask you. And so those are the four components that I use. Diversity, inclusion, belonging, respect. You can't have one without the other. As you see across the board from companies, organizations, startups, they have diversity, and inclusion, because you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Every listener is diverse, right? Mm-hmm. From different geographic regions, socioeconomic status, genders, ethnicity. To be inclusive is to understand what they bring to the table and amplify that. Okay. And belonging is making sure that everyone shows up to for their whole selves, kind of like mothers, being able to show up and say, hey, I've got a kid screaming in the background, but I'm also focused on this project. And so that is very important for supervisors, CEOs, colleagues to understand those different concepts so that we can be inclusive and respectful of people in the workplace. You know, what's really interesting is when you think back, not even that long ago, when you would have employers who wouldn't hire women and who would not hire women with children or who wouldn't hire women who were pregnant, right? Yes. And it wasn't that long ago. And for me, one of my teammates is actually, she will be having a baby very, very soon, like next week soon. 
And I think about the fact that we're a very small team, right? But it really wasn't that hard to try to figure out a plan to cover mm-hmm. things while she's out. Like it wasn't challenging. It was, hey, what are you working on? Hey, can we, let's record some videos for the projects that you do. So as the person who comes in, who's going to be helping or as we as a team kind of work through it. That's right. <laughs> we can work through it. Like it wasn't. Proactive, proactive things to help a mother. It, it's it, it's simple. And there's pros to having mothers on your team. Research has shown they're able to multitask. They're able to do things ad lib. They're able to balance multiple things because they're used to doing it in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. So it's actually an asset to have mothers on your team. I so- definitely agree. I think it's interesting too. I also, in addition to the work that I do just in business, I act. And so one of the things that one of the casting directors said when I went to a workshop was that she always found it so interesting that there will be women that come in and they audition and all of this stuff and they don't book and they get frustrated and all of that stuff. And then they have a baby and for whatever reason, they start booking more after that. And her perspective on it is that she feels like it becomes, everything else becomes less important, but not in a bad way, right? Right. You come into the audition and the audition is something that you want to do great at. You've taken specific time to prepare for that audition because that's time that you were taken away from your family, right? So that's very specific time, focus time that you did. And then even when you go to audition, it's not the most important part of your day. So you go, you do it, you do it with excellence, and then you go home. And go back to your baby, (laughs) you know, or your family or your children. Would you say that something similar happens in a professional career when women have start families? I think they become a little bit more focused. Some women I've seen, like for myself, I became very more focused because I felt I only have one time to be a mother. Mm-hmm. I can have multiple careers, right? right. Yeah. So yeah. I've got to focus on this little person. And actually, when I became more nonchalant, <laughs> I got more opportunities. It's quite weird because I was more in tune with she's my focus. Mm-hmm. I've only got for 18 years in my home. Everything else, bye. And I've gotten more opportunity. Right. I actually created a the largest online community for mothers who work on college campuses. Oh. And it's SAMS, and it stands for Student Affairs Moms with an S, plural. And I started it in 2016, and it's grown to over 7,000 mothers who work on college campuses. And what I've learned just being the founder of that group, we're actually getting ready to launch a website and merchandise, is that it's a basically me too. It's a bunch of moms who are like, okay, me too. I I am trying to work through this pandemic. I am trying to be a professional, a parent, a mom, a partner, a wife. Are my situations any more different from you? And there's 7,000 moms in there saying, no, me too. Some of them have great team dynamics like your team. And some of them work for people or interact with colleagues and supervisors are just so out of touch Mm. Uh, parenthood with the pandemic and with navigating how to be a supervisor. And so every day I get to hear from moms about how it is to work in the space and what's important for them. And for me, it came to 
I'm a mommy first, then I'm a professional. And so ironically, I just keep getting opportunities based on me putting my daughter first. Mm. So let me ask, before you became a parent, were you, you were always a DEI strategist or for a great part of your career, you were a DEI strategist, is that correct? For my daughter's 16, I've been doing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ooh, 10, 15 years. I did it in undergrad. I worked, I was really, really big on the census, which is a whole nother topic. I'm really big on people getting. And so in 2010, I was featured in an article because I was really, really big on getting everyone that I knew counted because we know that controls funding, that controls access, all of that. People really need to take the census more seriously. And I know during the pandemic, the numbers were down. So since 2010, I've been really, really on the front lines. everything from census work to domestic violence to community outreach. With the murder of Trayvon Martin, it really propelled me into the social justice space. So it's just been a passion of mine. I have five brothers. I'm a woman of color. I have roots from the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. to a small town in Mississippi. So anywhere in between, I'm very keen on how to make sure that everyone is living their best life and to be more inclusive. So nice time. And so when you became a mother, did that transition your thought process or did you always have a passion for women and mothers in the workplace even before then? Well, I had a passion. So I became a mother Mm -hmm. and then I got custody of two of my brothers And so I was the mom and a sister. Okay. And so I was raising three kids and I wasn't, I was only 22. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would, it it was rough. And so all of that became my identity. Right. And so being a mother, a first generation college student, raising two African-American boys, All of that played into... At 22. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that played into my advocacy for mothers. Before then, before I became a mom, I was just local in the community, just doing my thing. But as things uh, shifted, I became a single mother and then I got custody of my brothers. Oh, mom advocacy was through the roof. Because I had to really navigate that. And I was going back to college because I'm a college dropout. And so when I got custody of my brothers, I knew that to get us out of poverty, I needed to finish my education. And so that's when I went back to school. And so I went back to school, a mother of three, sometimes took my daughter to class. And so that's how mom advocacy, I had some great professors. That allowed me to bring my daughter to class. I was going to ask you how that was with bringing yeah, your daughter to class. I was, I, I attended Indiana University and it was some great professors who let me bring in a baby in a, in a stroller. And then it was some who talked to me after class and can you find a babysitter? Mm. So I saw, I saw that on both ends. And so I appreciate those professors who were inclusive. And who understood um, Mm-hmm. We see pictures a lot of times of professors over the last few years, like holding the babies while their kids are taking tests. And it makes me so like happy. That. Yeah. And it's funny. My mom was my parents got divorced when I was young. And so my mom was a single mom and I lived with her. 
And she was going back to school. And I remember going to class with her. And I remember her teachers actually like just being really nice and calling me up to the desk while she was taking <laughs> tests. And my mom tells this story about how <laughs> she was taking this test one time. And I probably shouldn't say this because I don't, I mean, she's already, ha- she has a degree now. It's conferred, so she's good. <laughs> but she was taking this test one time. And she said she looked over and I was just doing something. She didn't know what I was doing, but I was just doing something. I was furiously drawing or writing or doing something. And then I get up and I go up to her teacher and she's like, oh my God, what's going on? And so I had drawn this picture for her teacher and gave it to her teacher. And I guess her teacher just really loved it. And then he was like, hey, called her up, (laughs) just told her to turn in her exam and let her go. And so she was like, oh, my God, what happened? And she wound up passing the exam. But I think that's an example of a teacher understanding like, hey, this is a parent who's really trying to make it. And she was working. And so she was going to school at night. And so and I'm sure similar situation with you where you're working during the day. You have your kid out at night. It's late. And you're trying and then you're trying to go and, and do the things that you need to do for your child. And then still have to do homework after that and then wake up early in the morning to start all over again. That's right. Everybody in my house had a backpack and it was rough. And I get moms. I get how I uh, the car would break down the car like clockwork or Mm. she would get during an exam time Mm -hmm. or something happened with my brothers. And so I was never able to take off of class because I needed to save my absences. Because I knew something would go on, right? Mm-hmm. I'd just be the regular college student and not go to class, especially if there was an attendance policy. I knew I had to take save my absences because something was going to go on. Something was going to happen. Right. Uh, and so being able to be proactive and multitask was something that was embedded in me and always thinking about what if, because a lot of mothers have to do that. That's a business strategy. What if? What is the point B, C, and D? And I know for me, I've always had to think about that as a mother. And you know what? Another thing is when you talk about business strategies, one of the biggest things that I've had to deal with as a business owner is the idea of scarcity and not in a bad way, but like what do, when your resources are what they are, how do you make the best decisions that you can mm-hmm. within that level of resource that you have? And that's another thing that is very important in motherhood, making the best decisions that you can to get the best possible outcome that you can for the family within this framework of resources that you have available. That's right. What do you have control of? What can you do in this time, place, manner that you can control for you and your child? Definitely. So I definitely think these are all very important um, parts of being a mother and being a mother working or going to school or doing those things um, that they can to make their life and their situation better. What can organizations do to support moms as they do these things? First thing, before you even think of a plan, let's acknowledge, right? Okay. Let's acknowledge this is what's going on right now. I know people always want to say, what can I, what can I do? Have you even acknowledged that your team or your colleague is working from home? They're dealing with the pandemic. They're dealing either with a virtual school, hybrid, or all in person. And so before I even start consulting with people or, or giving them advice, have you acknowledged that? 
via email or in person? Or do you even have the rapport to sit down and say, employee A, I know that this is a very busy time, whether you have a partner or not, whether they're married or not. I want to be here as your colleague, as your teammate, as your supervisor. How can I help? That's the first step. Before we even go into logistical things and practical things, it's just acknowledging what someone is going through as a mother in a pandemic in 2021. So let me ask this, though, on the other side of it, as an employer, if I'm trying not to exhibit bias, right, I'm trying to be fair to all of my employees. If I'm making special accommodations for one person or quote unquote going out of my way to acknowledge someone's situation over the situation of someone else, is that fair? To me, I think it's about building rapport. Okay. Each supervisor knows who their teams are, right? Mm -hmm. It never said anything to your mom or you don't even know that they have children. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line, right? But if you built rapport and I can see how you are as a person and your personality, I think it's, it's okay. When I had supervisors who did that, it helps with uh, dedication, helps with productivity. Let's talk about the business case. It helps with retention, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so some people are like, I just want to be equal to every all of my employees. I want to treat them all the same. That's equality. What we are striving for is equity. Mm. equity giving everyone what they need. I firmly believe in that. That's why I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. Because yes, you can do a blanket statement. Hey, I'm here for you. Thank you. Close the email. However, if you want to be that intentional, inclusive leader, it is okay to amplify that equitable voice. You know what? I know over here, I have an immigrant family. I know over here, I have a single mother. I know over here, I have a two-parent household. It's being able that emotional intelligence allows you to be an equitable and inclusive leader. I love that. And I think you're absolutely right because there are so many situations that are so different because people are so different. Yes. That it's not. And I think that when you have the right people together and you're equitable across the board, the people that you have on your team will be thankful and and they'll appreciate the fact that you're also respecting the things that are going on with another colleague because they know that when something happens to them or when they need that level of respect, that you'll have that same level of respect and empathy and, and equitable inclusion for them as well. Definitely. I was dealing with some clients and they were making all of these recommendation and resources for moms. And there were some single clients in, in that same scene. They were like, well, what about me? Just because I don't have kids, I still need resources. And I said, exactly. What do you need as a single person in this pandemic? So, and they were like flexible working hours, someone, a discount on grocery shopping. And so when you help one, it allows another group that you probably weren't even intended or what wasn't even focused on to be able to voice themselves. And so I was like, hey, client A, let's do this whole thing. Let's provide a discount for a local grocery place to do shopping for families so that they won't have. And so let's do a collaboration like that. And so that benefited everybody that benefited single people that benefited people who 
are caretakers. Mm-hmm. So might take care of their grandparents or their parents. And then it also benefited moms and family. So there you go. Taking care of everybody. I love it. Taking care of everybody. What are some, some, so you mentioned just acknowledging that Mm -hmm. there is uh, something going on or that they might need some support or just acknowledging the the situation as it is. We're all in a pandemic. We're all Mm -hmm. going through something. How can I help you? What are some other things that you would say should happen after that acknowledgement? I think being cognizant of respecting boundaries. I think you mentioned it before that we are working longer. You are correct. Research has shown that, that the lines have become extremely blurred. And so companies, organizations, colleagues, if you wouldn't call them or FaceTime them at eight o'clock at night, pre-pandemic, please do not do that now. Right. Respect boundaries. Yes, people are in their homes, but a lot of people right now I'm sitting in a high traffic area in my home, which a lot of people are, and just being respectful of time, place, and manner that a lot of people are dealing with. Not everybody has an office that they can go to. Right. Not everybody has an extra room that they can go to. Just being aware of that. Another thing is in regards to respecting boundaries is making sure that people understand what their role is. Mm, mm -hmm. A lot of of roles have become, I'm doing what now? Let's (laughs) let's revisit what my role is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've gotten people, they are now (laughs) risk management on top of COVID-19, on top of customer service. And so when I'm telling people, I said it is not selfish for you to tap your supervisor on the shoulder and say, let's revisit my job description because they're kind of blurred. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Revisiting what you are paid to do, because as we know, extra things have been put on us. On everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Those are just some things. Revisiting your job description, welcoming the conversation with boundaries. And of course, flexible working arrangements where possibly you can do your submit a report on the weekend, things like that. Something that works with your schedule, maybe not having meetings at eight o'clock when you know that this family is homeschooling and school starts at eight. And we know that we're not even going to talk about internet insecurity, internet Mm. insecurity with people not being able to and with the with the children having upstairs on the internet, mom and dad, mom and mom, dad and dad are downstairs on their computer. We know that internet insecurity, broadband problems are quite prevalent. Right. So just acknowledging, just being aware, being proactive, being mindful, being mindful. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of boundaries. So. With us, again, being such a small team and my team, I try my best to go to bat for my team with our clients and things like that. And so because of that, I've noticed that my team will do anything for me. You know what I mean? Like they see that I respect them and that I appreciate them so much and they go above and beyond. And so I know that if I send somebody an email at 10 o'clock at night, they'll look at it. And if it's something that they can get done, they'll try to get done, right? You I know that. this. That's right. 
So what I do is I'm up and I'll maybe send an email at 10, but I schedule it to deploy at 8 a.m. in the morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you so, put it in your draft. You yeah. put it in your Well, on, so we use G Suite for Google's business solutions. And so I can craft it and I can just schedule it. I could set it to send, but schedule it. So not even a draft, just set it to send at that time in the morning. So it automates the process okay. for me. And it's helpful for me because I can still work in the evenings and get things taken care of and do the things that I need to do. But I don't feel, I don't, because I really feel bad about sending emails at that time of night to people, right? And then bothering them <laughs> and things like that. So I don't feel bad, but I, I only feel bad because I know that my team would be the type to look at it and try to fix whatever's going on. And I don't mm-hmm. want them to do that because nothing, we're not saving lives. We're not sending people to the moon. You know what I mean? Like we, there's nothing really for the most part, every now and then you never know. So I can't say that it'll never be important, but for the most part, there's not really a lot that we do that has to be done at 10 o'clock at night. That just happens to be a time that I can go back through my emails and clear out things for the day and stuff like that. And so that's one way that I found to support the boundaries for my team. And proactively support those things. So that might be something that an employer who is out there sending emails might decide to do. Um, (laughs) uh, I like it. What are some other things? One of the things that I've noticed is the space. It's virtual world, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing things on GoTo, on Zoom, on Microsoft Teams. Uh, What else is out there? Blue uh, jeans and <laughs> meet me, no, join me. Yes. I love it. Talk about being inclusive in this virtual space. Mm-hmm. I tell people, if you've got a meeting, right, schedule it for 45 minutes to 50 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So that gives somebody, because I guarantee you, people, I know some people that are hopping from meeting to meeting to meeting to five. So allow Just like we allow walking time or time to go from one meeting to the next, Mm -hmm. we need to do it in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. Let people have five to 10 minutes before their next meeting, which means, which will allow you to be more concise in your messaging. We're going to do this in three minutes. That's going to give you 10 minutes to possibly get something to eat. I've got people that I'm talking to, they're not eating because they're literally sitting right here on the camera all day all day back to back to back next when this first began i remember i'm in a lot of higher education groups mom groups and people were professors and uh team members turn your camera on turn your camera on (laughs) i think it's so disrespectful you don't have your camera on and it was this huge debate i remember reading the thread Mm -hmm. the just reading the thread. Is it disrespectful to not have your camera on? Is it wrong to not have your camera on? Are you less engaged? Is your um, colleagues going to look at you strange if you don't have your camera on? And so this is what I think. People have a whole lot going on. Mm-hmm. Whether it's virtual backgrounds or not, people are like, well, they can turn on their virtual background. That may be, but you have no idea what is going on backstage. Right. You know, if that parent has, is a new parent and they have throw up on them. 
from a newborn, right? You don't know if that new parent has even had time to put on their makeup to cover their eyes from taking care of a newborn baby, right? There's always stuff on the backstage. So yes, virtual backgrounds are good. I had, um, was it last week, we had a meeting with a client and one of my teammates, you know, had her camera off. And so she texted me and she's like, I'm still here. I just have to change a diaper real quick. (laughs) And it's it's fine because there was no reason that she had Mm -hmm. to be on camera. And it was fine that she was still able to engage in what we were talking about. But she also was able to do what she needed to do for her family. And that was fine. You never know what's going on backstage. And so it was this whole debate. Just being aware of that. Are you making it put on your cameras? I want everyone on their cameras. This one lady, she said her supervisor yelled because she didn't have her camera on. Just being aware, a simple thing. Mm -hmm. If you are able to, I would like to see your faces today. Not making it mandatory, but giving people just time to breathe. Mm -hmm. I remember after the murder of George Floyd, and I was talking to some of my my black friends, colleagues, mm-hmm. and they said, I just didn't have the energy to be on camera. Mm. I was dealing with bouts of crying. Mm-hmm. My colleagues were gone about their business, talking about the weather and their dogs. And I just didn't have the energy to or the ability to even be on camera. I was barely there. Mm-hmm. And so I could not press the camera button. And so I remember staying, I remember that staying with me. I remember, that's that's a super important point. And I even remember around that time, what was interesting is that you would have colleagues who would, because I, mean, I, I do work for myself, but I also work with other, work with another team. It's but fine. I um, was working at this organ, this association and they, I want to say it did a good job of trying to make sure that we felt heard and understood and had a space, but it was overwhelming. It was completely overwhelming a lot of the time because especially at that time, it was all over the news and you didn't feel good about not watching the news because the numbers with COVID were rising. So you'd turn away from the news and then you turn back and then it'd be 10, 20,000 more people that had died from COVID. So it mm-hmm. felt better to just kind of keep a closer eye on it. So that wouldn't be so jarring. You'd see all of this stuff about George Floyd and about Breonna Taylor and about all of these things that were happening, the stuff that went on in Atlanta. And in addition to that, that was all when you were at home, but then you go to work and it's these emails that are going out, like we stand by you and you talk to your colleagues and they're wanting to have conversations and making sure you're all right. You're on Facebook and your friends are wanting, you know what I mean? It was like, you just couldn't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was completely exhausting, not just, oh man, I watched it on the news and I'm so sad, whatever. It was exhausting because you could not get away from it. Mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. all in any all. space that you occupied and so in my student affairs moms group i was just holding space for black mom mm-hmm. about black moms doing all of this and what you, what people don't know is you were exhibiting i was exhibiting symptoms of racial battle fatigue critical race theorists dr william smith coined that term And it's real. 
It Mm -hmm. is real. I just remember trying to focus on whatever I was focusing on. I look back at those emails around June and I don't know, I don't even remember writing some of them. Mm. It was like looking looking at myself do things uh, Mm -hmm. during those times. And so racial battle fatigue is real. And, And so I challenged a lot of people who were mothers to turn off the TV to stop reading because it was taking a toll on them, on the, and on their families and with their children. And so that was, that was a tough time. Mm-hmm. That was a time black people were battling the pandemic and, and racism and social justice. And then I think a lot of us thought maybe idealistically that 2021 would come in and that, okay, all this would be over. Right. <laughs> and then, and it didn't go away, right? This feels like <laughs> it's still a continuation on many days of uh, 2020. And so, <laughs> yeah, we still have to. Somebody um, said, I don't know where I heard this. Somebody said 2020, <laughs> 2021 is uh, when it did a wig change. That's the Right. <laughs> right. I can't say 2021 just wouldn't change their wig. Mm-mm. I said really. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. But I mean it, oh, on many days it does yeah, feel like that. I think the only difference now is that we're settling into being used to stuff. Or we're settling in as much as you can be used to living in a pandemic. We're just kind of settling in. It's not Last year, and I can't even say last year this time because it it just barely, we didn't really even know that it was going on at this particular time last year. But then we went through that whole cycle of what is this and being terrified and all that stuff. And I think that we're still learning different stuff and we're still a little confused and and concerned. And then Mm -hmm. you also look at stuff with the vaccines coming out now and thinking through that and (laughs) how is that going to work out? And what does that look like? And we see that there's still those disparities right now with the vaccine and with it getting distributed to communities, particularly communities of color. There's still a lot. Today, I just listened to a, a, a new segment on that. People of color. Is it our skepticism or they're just not getting it to our communities? So it was a good, well-rounded, robust debate one is skepticism in the black and brown communities, or we just don't have access. And so they did a really good job of exploring mm-hmm. of those two different viewpoints. I am fortunate enough to get, we'll be getting a vaccine on February 15th at 10:20 AM. Okay. And so I look, I got that, I got that written down, but I'm thinking of how privileged I am to not even be a healthcare worker, to be able to get it. And just knowing somebody and having access and how many other people need it and will not be able to get it. And so just understanding my privilege at that at this point, but also understanding that as a government, they should have did a, a, a better job. I know people joke that if Amazon gave vaccines, <laughs> that we would all have right. If, if if prime delivery gave you a vaccine, me and you, Sequoia, we would have been had. Right, immediately. Yeah. Immediately. But you know what's interesting is that you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, is it our skepticism or is it still some type of um, inequity 
for us just not getting it. But I think some of it too is education mm-hmm. because even me, like I, I tend to try to stay up to date. I watch the news regularly. I, when I'm on Clubhouse, will go in the rooms, particularly with the doctors that are talking about yeah. it, just to kind of see the latest, get the latest info. If I see an article, I tend to try to read it. But I, just to be completely honest and transparent, I don't know when I wouldn't know where to go get it. I wouldn't know. I assume just because of something I'd seen on the news a while ago that they're prioritizing people who are in that higher risk category. And you know what I mean? Like, I I have no idea (laughs) where to get it. I have had conversations with my family about it and there is skepticism there. We're just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know about all that. (laughs) You know, we go back and forth because we go back and forth for a number of reasons. You see people that are having issues with it. And then to be fair, there are far more people who seem to have taken it and have no issues. So we want to be balanced and fair there. But it's when, even though it's a small number of people who are having issues, that number seems a lot bigger when you're one of the ones in that number. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's real for people. That's not unfounded that some people would be concerned about that. But I also think in addition to that, a lot of it is just education. We don't know. We don't know next steps. That hasn't been communicated. That hasn't been rolled out in a way that's clear to everybody. I completely agree. Education, education, education. We're just hearing different things. What about the other strand? What about this? Mm-hmm. What about this? So I'm like you. I My head is to my ears to the ground. I'm um watching news places that I don't necessarily agree with overall, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they have other viewpoints regarding the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so I'm listening. I'm listening. And I, I, it's really, really important that we get educated and access to this vaccine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we've been rolling. We have been rolling. We have been rolling. So, Final thoughts, right? If you had an opportunity to step in my shoes, what's one question you would have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I am an optimist, uh, hopeful. Something that would make, do you think we are in a place to be hopeful in regards to mothers, in regards to this pandemic, in regards to social justice? And I am such a Pollyanna sometimes. (laughs) I'm optimistic. And so that's how I lead. Uh-huh. Uh, and I often get pushed back. Oh, you think these people are going to change and your work is not doing anything and it's always going to be this. And so I lead with hopeful and hope that that's going to guide me and that's going to be a difference. My work with mothers that if I can just help one mother finish college like I did. That is my hope. If I can help help one mother feed their family or provide them with resources, that is my hope. If I can help a trans mother and a a black mother come to an agreement on issues and topics, I'm hopeful for that. Mm -hmm. I want to give you this is how when you are led with things things show up for you. I Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that. I agree. Uh, It was a couple of days after George Floyd. And once again, I was telling you I was was, uh, suffering from racial battle fatigue. 
it seems like I couldn't get away. That video kept showing in the news cycle. And I was at the post office and I was mailing some of my art. So I do art. I'm an artist to help with my anxiety. It's very calming for me. So I do art. Well, I guess I'm pretty good because people buy my art from all over the world. So I was sitting in the parking lot. I had just mailed my artwork and I was just sitting there crying. I remember I had my mask on. I was just crying in my truck. I don't know why. It, it was <laughs> it was all of that. And I get a knock on my window. And I look, and it's this old white lady knocking on my window. Mm-hmm. Now, Joy, and, and I'm thinking, what does she want? Today is not the day. And all of this, all of this is playing in my head, right, Sequoia? Mm-hmm. And something tells me to roll down the window. Literally, I'm rolled down the window. This older white lady proceeds to say, I don't know you. I just want to say that your life is just important as white lives. I love you. And I hope that things change. She started crying. I started crying. I'm about to start crying. (laughs) And I rolled up the window and she walked away. Mm. No joke. And I remember thinking hope just showed up. And I posted it on Facebook Mm -hmm. and it got like 500. I never got her name. And every time I go to the post office in my town, I look for this white lady because that day that was hope showing up. Mm, I love that. that. And so and the pandemic and racial injustice and us trying to get it right. That's what I lead with, and that's what I do, and that's what I hope for. It's the continuation that we're going to get it right, that we're going to be okay. So, yeah. Well, I ask, I tend to end with two questions, and I almost feel like I shouldn't even ask because I feel like you just answered. Um, <laughs> you just answered. But I will ask in case you okay. want to expound on it. But when you think about the work that you do, what is the legacy? that you want to leave um, people with when they think about the work that you do in DNI, and how will you know, I guess, that your mission is complete? I often think about what if I pass away? I know people, I, I joke with my friends all the time. I'm like, I don't want you guys to wear black at my funeral. Like they, they think I'm morbid, right? <laughs> black at my funeral and do not put my face on no t-shirt with no wigs, <laughs> no, no t-shirt. With the clouds in the staircase. <laughs> and they are like, oh, we're definitely doing it now. We're definitely <laughs> doing that. So I always think about my mortality. And, and, and I think that's why I lead such an intentional life. Mm. Because if you don't think about when you're going to leave here, then you're not busy doing the work. Mm. And so for me, my legacy I would hope is that I was a lover of all people, whether you disagreed with me or not. I call myself the inclusive disruptor, which means I'm going to disrupt your thinking. I might make you feel a little uncomfortable in some of my trainings, but I want you to know that there is no growth and comfort. Mm -hmm. And while 
I'm making you uncomfortable. I will lead with hopefulness. I will lead with love and I will lead with understanding. And so that is how I hope my legacy in this space continues even after I'm gone and people have went to my trainings or they've read something from me or they've listened to me that why I might disrupt you in some of your thinkings. It was not out of a place of malice, but out of place of love, understanding and education. And so, yeah, I hope I answered that that question. Absolutely. That was beautiful. So where can people reach you uh, to learn more about what you're doing and how they can support and how they can access the things that you have, your trainings, uh, books, if you haven't, all of those things. I love, love, actually, I am a very, very high touch point. So I, at the end of all of my presentations, I give my, my phone number. And so some people are internal processors. Some people just don't want to say anything. And so I actually give my phone number, which I'm going to do to listeners contact me, text me. I've had some of the most robust conversations through text. My area code is area code 812-327-4582. Yes, text me, get to know me. I will provide resources. Net alex.white at rebootexcel.com. I am the director of diversity for a consulting company, women-owned, women-led consulting company, where we do inclusive leadership workshops, where we do diversity training, where we go into companies and give them ideas on how to be more inclusive for moms, for trans people, for immigrants, for any underrepresented group. Um, You can find me at rebootexcel.com. I answer all email. As Sequoia knows, look, if I can't get in touch with you, if we can't make it work, I will continuously bug you until I, (laughs) because we know that uh, there are lots of moving parts in people's lives. And so those are just some aspects uh, that you can get in contact with me, my cell phone, my email, and the consulting company that I work for. And so I am on Clubhouse, Dr. Alexandria White. I'm on Clubhouse. I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram. ALX Wonder on Instagram, please, please message me. And so I'm a very open book. I love speaking with people, those that agree with me, as well as those that don't. So let's continue the conversation. Well, please, please, please get in touch with her on all (laughs) of those channels. Dr. Alexandra White, thank you so much for joining me today. And most importantly, thank you for the work that you do. And that's another episode, folks. If you want to keep up with Diversity Be Like, be sure to check us out online. You can follow us or subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Diversity Be Like. You can also shoot us an email at podcast at mochastock.com. And like Dr. White said, let's continue the conversation. So if you have any thoughts or things that you'd like to share with Dr. White, please shoot us a, a message on your favorite social network using hashtag diversity be like, let us know what you thought of the conversation. Let us know any tips or best practices you have on helping people feel more included in the workspace. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so. <laughs> All right, everybody until next week. <laughs>